It's time to get the most in-depth coverage of University of Tennessee football recruiting with Football Futures. Now, here's Josh Ward. Welcome into Football Futures. My name is Josh Ward. Thank you for being here this evening. Football Futures is presented by Twin Peaks on North Shore Drive near Kingston Pike. It's a great option as we were discussing earlier this afternoon on Sports 180. This week is maybe the best sports week in history in terms of the amount of options we have to watch with the postseason now up and running in Major League Baseball. The NBA Finals start up tomorrow night. College football and the NFL are underway. So many other sports. Talladega is coming up this weekend. NASCAR. It is a very exciting time in sports. You can stop by Twin Peaks anytime for lunch, for dinner, looking to catch the game. You can catch it at Twin Peaks. North Shore Drive near Kingston Pike making football futures happen each and every week. And on tonight's show, I'm going to look at a few of the big name prospects to pay attention to as Tennessee's class is largely complete, but there are some guys who are committed who may not sign. And there are some guys out there who are committed elsewhere that might be looking around, and there are, of course, some big names that Tennessee will continue to pursue in the process. I'll get to that before this show ends. Coming up in a moment, I'm going to talk to Ari Wasserman from TheAthletic.com. He covers college football and college football recruiting, and I'll ask him, what does he think about Tennessee's class, what they've done so far, and what Tennessee needs to do to get to the highest level, where Alabama and Georgia and Clemson recently have been in recruiting. That's coming up here on Football Futures. Also on tonight's show, I'll look at the freshmen, the impact that some of them made in the first game of the season. There's something to work with, I think, for the rest of this season. And realistically, several of those players will just be needed as this season goes along, as we saw this past Saturday with Danico Slaughter playing a good amount out there because Sean Schamberger was unavailable. So I'll get to that with the freshman focus coming up in the second segment of tonight's show. You'll hear from Jeremy Pruitt as well. As Football Futures is here every Tuesday from 7 until 7.30, presented by Twin Peaks. And if you ever miss an episode, you can always go back and listen in the podcast section of the WNML app and on Apple Podcasts. Sam Foreman is producing for me here tonight, and we'll get the show loaded up for you as soon as it's done. And I want to welcome to the show now Ari Wasserman from TheAthletic.com. Ari, thanks so much for taking some time to join me here tonight. I'll begin by just asking, what do you think about what Tennessee has done with its 2021 class, especially what Tennessee has done over the last several months after they got things going there in the spring with a number of big-time commitments. But thoughts on Tennessee and what Jeremy Pruitt's staff has been able to do so far in recruiting? You know, it looks like Tennessee's class is almost full. Um, and right now it, it stands at number six in the country. Um, and the fact that they have two top 40 players nationally, um, including a five-star prospect from Florida and a high-end four-star, basically five-star prospect out of Alabama, you got to like the diversity of the way that they've recruited this class in terms of geography. Um, Tennessee's not always the easiest place to recruit. Um, no, I think that's going to change in the future as Nashville's population continues to expand. Um, but life in the SEC is tough, man. Like, um, even if Tennessee signs a top 10 class, as it did last year, that could be the eighth best class in the, in the conference. And that's not necessarily the same challenges that uh, face teams from the Big 12, Pac-12, and Big 10. So, um, right now, even if Tennessee's class uh, falls three, four, five spots because they're basically full, um, that's fine. Uh, they have a lot of top-end talent right now, a lot of players who rank in the top uh, 250 nationally, and I think that's going to translate well to the program. Yeah, and what do you think could help Tennessee make the jump to where it's in that 
that top tier class of recruiting in the SEC, not necessarily for 2021, uh, but just big picture Tennessee trying to join Alabama, Georgia, what, what, it, what those two teams especially do each and every year right now with Kirby Smart and Nick Saban. Yeah, I mean, that's the golden question for everybody, right? Like, how do you become the best at something? Um, and, like, it's, it's really tough, and it's a, it's a long road. And, like, if you go back and you, like, look at the past of Tennessee's classes in 2020, they were, I believe, ranked number 10, 2013, or 19, they were 13th. And um, even if you go back to 2018, they improved from the, the ranking of 21 in that class. So what you're seeing here is an incremental growth. Um, from Tennessee's recruiting results. And I think that's the way that this has to be done. Uh, People who uh, think that recruiting is something that you go from 25th best class to the number three best class in America overnight, it's just wrong. So there's a lot of things that go into it. That's solidifying a recruiting strategy that is is proven and works. And in in the South, that can be really tough. Like where does Tennessee spend most of their time? Uh, They have to refine that. Are they spending most of their time in Alabama and Florida um, can they try to like branch out West Coast? I mean, there's a lot of different strategies that are in place here. And then, of course, um, the obvious and, and something that everybody knows is they have to have results on the field. And like everything, I think recruiting is a, a popularity contest. It's a, it's a trendy um, thing to do where you, you want to go to the places that are winning the most. And right now, the Ohio States, Alabamas, Clemsons, and Georgias are the ones not only winning the most, but also putting the most talent in the NFL. So, um, I kind of like look at recruiting as like building a, a skyscraper. You, you can't get to the top unless you have a sturdy base. And it seems like Tennessee is building something from the bottom, but in terms of whether or not they're going to be on the Alabama level, um, it's just, a, it's a lot of work and it's really hard to do. And that's what makes what Alabama has done so crazy um, in a, in a world where um, they're signing what eight or nine in a row top classes in America that's that's a really, really hard thing to do. And the standard of winning the SEC is so high and what needs to be done in order to accomplish that, it's kind of daunting to think about. But if Tennessee continues to have a um, steady um, growth, both in their recruiting rankings and their recruiting efforts, and and then hopefully for them on the field, um, you get closer and closer to that until you have a, a real reality of accomplishing it. Talking to Ari Washerman from The Athletic, covering college football, covering college football recruiting. And uh, you wrote recently about some of the, the, the highest-rated, uncommitted prospects or undecided guys out there. One was uh, Marius Mims, one of the top offensive linemen in the country. Do you view it as, as Georgia the team to beat there, as Tennessee has been in the mix with him? Yeah, I, I, uh, I think it's super hard for anybody to go into other states where there's a major powerhouse and um, take them. And... Mims is from Georgia and Georgia's kind of gone all in on him. Now I'm like not always the most uh, comfortable, like saying, well, where's this person going to go? Because a lot of times, you know, you never know where they're going to go. Yeah. Sometimes Uh, they don't know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And, and, you know, I don't like to be put on the uh, spot in terms of like getting people's hopes up or telling them that it's not going to happen. But like, according to his profile, Mims is most closely considering Alabama, Georgia, and Tennessee. And to get back to your further to your last question, this is what you want. You know, that's a step in the right direction. You want a a kid from Georgia who has an Alabama offer, an Auburn offer, a Florida State offer, and a Tennessee offer to also be considering Tennessee. Now, I wouldn't get your hopes up. I think that, you know, Georgia is in an interesting place in their class right now. I think they're in the top 15, but they're used to being in the top three, and there's a lot of players from the state of Georgia that are uncommitted, um, that are five-star prospects, high-end four-stars, and Mims is one of them. So, you know, 
it's really hard year. I'm assuming that we're going to get to this here soon in terms of visiting and trying to really sway people by getting them on campus and, you know, having that face-to-face in-person contact. So like going into other states is a little bit harder this year, which I think also makes what Tennessee's done all the more impressive. Yep, that's that's my next question there, Ari. What do you think uh, we're looking at here over the next couple of months? Um, is December, it's, is it going to include an early signing period still, do you think? And how do things go as uh, official visits and face-to-face contact has uh, has not happened or has been very limited? It's been more the, the virtual route in the world of recruiting. Yeah, I mean, it, it's I, I was kind of surprised that um, – they put the kibosh completely on uh, official visits or the potential of having official visits um, this year up through January, because, you know, this is a fluid situation. And I guess that you never quite know exactly what uh, this virus or what things are going to look like in terms of testing and mitigating the virus uh, will be in two months, let alone next week. Um, But at the other hand too, there's no possible way that you can envision a world where keeping these teams safe and isolated um, could include having prospects come on airplanes, fly into your campus, and come into your football building. It's just you can't have one and the other. So, you know, it makes a lot of sense that it would be tough uh, to do that. And I, I, I think it makes sense that teams don't have the ability to do that. Now, that doesn't mean that it's not going to be difficult on the prospects because now you're asking a bunch of players, many of which haven't visited some of the schools that are recruiting them very heavily, um, before making that decision. And you want these kids to have. Uh, the most power and the most information that they possibly can have before making those decisions. So it's kind of a complex situation. And then in terms of the early signing period, I don't think that one has to do with the other. I think they're going to continue to keep the early signing period because after all the early signing period was made to give kids options. And, you know, anytime you can give the prospects and the teenagers options and power before they get to campus, I'm all for it. Cause once they do, they have none. So, um, you know, nobody has to sign in December. They can decide later if they want to, like, wait out and see if they can get to visiting in January or February once these seasons are over. It might be more possible to do that once fear of cancellation of games or rosters getting sick in the middle of the year is, is gone. Um, but it's kind of a, a really odd year, not just from the visiting standpoint, but also the evaluation standpoint from the coaching staff because they didn't have summer camps. They didn't have the ability to get the tape from inviting these guys onto campus and, like, watching them work out in person and, of course, some players aren't even playing their high school season. So um, certainly a weird year. I think it might be the toughest year in terms of evaluations and hits that we see. Um, but there's a lot to, to kind of you know unpack here that certainly can't do in the next 10 minutes. Yeah, sure. What have you been able to tell from coaches' perspectives on how this year has gone and what, what schools have tried to do? Because I'm sure different programs have, had, have taken different approaches to recruiting for 20, the 2021 class because um, some of them actually like this better. And I don't know if that means that they, I'm not saying that they don't like to have kids on campus or to, you know, have as many people come have face-to-face contact as as possible. I think what they like is that in order for the NCAA to allow recruiting to continue, they've allowed unlimited digital contact, which has then in turn allowed these coaches to talk to these kids more on a a day-to-day basis. And I think a lot of these coaches, despite the fact that, they haven't had these kids on campus feel closer to them um, because they uh, are contacting them more. And the more you talk to somebody, the more you feel like you get to know them. So um, I don't know what they're going to do in terms of long-term reform uh, of the edu- of the recruiting process as a result of what we might have learned from the effectiveness of, of what Corona forced the game to do. Um, but I think that through Twitter and 
videos and FaceTimes and digital abilities, you can kind of get a sense of where you're going and uh, where you're ending up through the computer. Uh, it's not nearly as good as going and touring a campus, but, you know, I think that there's still a, a, a pretty good sense of where these guys are going and how they feel about where they're going. I think the bigger piece of this whole thing is the lack of evaluation, the lack of tape, the lack of ability to have kids unofficially visit in the middle of the summer and work out and try to earn an offer in person and all the cool things that kind of go along with what goes on in the summer in college football. Well, Ari, before you go, Ari Wasserman, the athletic, uh, is there anything else that you would add to the angle of recruiting for, for this year, what's gone on or, or what's coming next? What, what interesting storyline maybe is out there for you in the world of recruiting right now? I mean, the most interesting storyline to me is like what the game is going to look like in 2022 or 23 once like these classes become the crux of rosters, if that makes sense. Like, you know, you're going to have freshmen uh, enrolling into places that they haven't usually or they're enrolling in places that they haven't seen very often and they're enrolling in places that haven't been able to evaluate them as well as they have in the past. But when they get to campus the first two years, it'll just be like freshmen and sophomores trying to earn their way onto rosters. What I'm wondering is, is how many gems that didn't get that extra evaluation that that would have jumped to a, a top 10 team are going to end up on, on lower um, middle tier conference teams as a result of this. How many kids are going to transfer as a result of not feeling comfortable about where they ended up because they couldn't visit in person? How many misses are there going to be from five-star prospects that didn't have, have further time to evaluate because sometimes kids go down in the rankings too? How many late bloomers are going to be missed in, in, in transferring from small colleges to bigger ones because they got missed in the recruiting process as a result of no longer having the ability to be evaluated into their senior years? I think there's a lot of movement that could happen both in the parity of the sport and with talent on rosters once we kind of see how this all shakes out in like three years or two years once these kids are the starters on their teams. Yeah, a lot of questions to be answered over time. Ari Wasserman covering college football and recruiting for theathletic.com. Go there and read his coverage. Ari, always good stuff. Thanks so much for taking some time to join me and talk about it. Yeah, anytime you need me, you give me a call, okay? Will do. Big thanks to Ari again for joining me here on Football Futures. And all guests join us on the Stanley Fencing and Gates Hotline on the sports end. Well, Tennessee is continuing in a good direction. Jeremy Pruitt and his staff have done a really good job. I think you're going to see some of the freshmen already over the next couple of weeks make an impact on Tennessee's football team, and that will continue on. So as I continue here on Football Futures, I'll look at some of the players Tennessee is going after, some of those guys that could be impact players in the 21 class, and then guys who are at Tennessee now who we will see in this first year for them on campus, the freshman focus. I'll get to that coming up here on Football Futures. Each and every Tuesday from 7 until 7.30 on The Sports Animal, it's presented by Twin Peaks. I'll come back with another segment of Football Futures. My name's Josh Ward. You're listening to FM 99.1, The Sports Animal. Checking in with Tennessee football commitments and prospects. It's Football Futures with Josh Ward. Welcome back into Football Futures. Thank you for being here with me this evening. We still have a lot to get to in this final segment of the show. Football Futures is here every week thanks to Twin Peaks on 99.1 The Sports Animal every Tuesday from 7 until 7.30. I'll have a freshman focus before this segment ends. And also want to catch you up on where things stand with Tennessee and some of the big-name prospects. As we were talking about, Tennessee wants to compete with Alabama and Georgia and Clemson, those top-level programs in the country, the more players you can land who are also considering those schools, the better chance you have to compete with those schools in the future. And Tennessee has landed 
a number of those players in the last few years. Think about Henry Tooto, a guy who chose Tennessee over Alabama in the 2019 class. Quavaris Crouch chose Tennessee over Clemson and Michigan. Wanya Morris could go just about anywhere. Same with Darnell Wright in that 2019 class. And then with this year's class, you have a few of those guys. And for 2021, the Dylan Brooks and Terrence Lewis group, Katron Evans, those guys had a chance to go to some of the biggest programs in the country as well. Tennessee needs more of those guys, which is a pretty obvious statement. And being in the mix with some of these guys I'm about to mention is a good thing. If you can land one or any of them, that could take Tennessee's class to a higher level. So some of the names that would stand out, one would be offensive lineman Amarius Mims, who is coming up on just a couple of weeks to go before he makes his announcement. It looks like Georgia and Tennessee is the top two players with Alabama having been in the picture as well. And Georgia, being the in-state school, is going to get the majority of the attention. But if Tennessee could land Amarius Mims and pull off what would be, I guess, considered an upset there, that would be huge for this class, which has three offensive linemen committed. Mims would for sure be the highest-ranked offensive lineman in this class. And if you land him, you're also beating out Georgia. You're keeping Georgia from getting a player that you covet. You would say the same thing about linebacker Smile Munden, who is from the state of Georgia. Georgia is a school that, through a lot of the process, has been considered the favorite. Tennessee's been in the mix. Auburn as well. And he's a guy that has not given a lot of hints as to what he's thinking. And at different times during the spring and early summer months, there was talk of maybe him making an announcement. To this point, that still has not happened. Tennessee continues to be in the picture with Munden. And I would think part of the sales pitch would be, if Henry Tooto plays at a really high level, which he's already doing, you go to the next highly touted linebacker and say, hey, look, Henry chose us over Alabama. Now he's playing at this level. Look at what he did against South Carolina. He's getting preseason All-SEC honors as a sophomore, and people are talking about him going to the NFL after his junior year. You can be the next one in line. Part of the sales pitch has been, look at what we did for these players at Alabama and Georgia and Florida State. Well, now... Tennessee, I'm sure, will say, look at what we are doing with Henry Tooto, who could have gone to one of those schools but instead came to play for us. We need more players like him. We need more players like you. I'd say that's part of the pitch to somebody like Munden. And then you have other highly touted defensive players Tennessee is going after, like cornerback Nylon Green, defensive lineman Terry Ingram Dawkins. Green is a guy that a lot of uh, Clemson attention has been there, but Tennessee has continued to push for him, saying, hey, we need help at corner as uh, Bryce Thompson, Alante Taylor have developed. We need more depth, though, at that position. And then on the defensive line, it's pretty obvious why you would go after highly touted players at that position. He's from Gaffney, South Carolina. I'm guessing he will have heard about what Tennessee did at South Carolina this past weekend from Tennessee's coaches, as South Carolina has been considered the favorite for TID, as I think a lot of people refer to him as. But South Carolina, Tennessee, Alabama, and other schools have been in the picture for Terry and Ingram Dawkins. So big-time defensive players Tennessee is going after with the 2021 class. As we mentioned earlier, the, the class is largely complete, knowing that things are always fluid in, the, in recruiting and prospects can decide to go elsewhere at any point in time or coaches could say, hey, you know what, you might want to look elsewhere. But Tennessee with 25 commitments for 2021 has the majority of the class put together. Now it's about managing some of those commitments and going after some of the, quote, big fish that Tennessee is recruiting. And if we look at what Tennessee did in the 2020 class, there are no real 
judgments or evaluations at this point. We're one game into their time at Tennessee, but we did see 11 freshmen on the field for Tennessee this past Saturday. Some playing pretty big roles, some making a pretty big impact. I thought Tyler Barron was a really big positive for Tennessee, an outside linebacker from Catholic. I will be curious to see if Tyler Barron and Morvin Joseph, another outside linebacker who chose Tennessee over Florida in this year's class, if they continue to play bigger roles as the season goes along. As Sean Schamberger comes back, I would think that he's on the field more often, and we probably in the near future see less of Danico Slaughter. But the fact that he was the guy they chose to be out there a lot on Saturday says this coaching staff still thinks highly of him. And his future, I think, is being a player that can play along the line of scrimmage. He can help in run coverage. He can help in applying pressure. And then as he develops and has a better understanding of what he can do in coverage, that should allow Slaughter more time on the field. We'll see more of Key Lawrence, I would guess, in the future, as this is appropriately called, football futures. And freshman running backs, I'll be curious to see, do they get more involved as one of them emerge? T. Hodge is somebody that we've talked about a lot, a bigger back. There's not a lot of size there with Ty Chandler and Eric Gray. And also, it's a position where you need bodies, you need depth. And I think that's something that they will look for at the running back position. Wide receiver is an obvious position to talk about as well. Jalen Hyatt, Malachi Weidman. And then as the season goes along, that competition will be there as well. This is what Jeremy Pruitt said on Monday, talking about the opening game, the freshmen who played. There were 11, again, freshmen making their debut for Tennessee in the season opener. And they're probably just going to be needed more as the season goes along. I think that's the case along the line of scrimmage as well. Listen to what Jeremy Pruitt said Monday, talking about the freshman class, their early impact, and their chance to develop during the 2020 season? Well, I think, um, I, I don't know if it was 11 or 14 of them that played in the game. Um, and I don't even know exactly how many we traveled, but these guys are going to play more and more of a role as the season goes. For us, I can't speak for the other schools in our conference or any other school across the country, but for us, the circumstances that we've had uh, over the last six weeks when it comes to people being available for practice has really hurt the freshman class, uh, which is not normal. And if these guys, if we wouldn't have been without, maybe some of them have been in quarantine, but the fact that half our team was gone for most of camp, we could only practice two groups. And if you were a freshman that fit in that group to where you were a third team, it was hard to work your way up to be a, a first or second team guy. So, I think over the next couple of weeks, you're going to see us play more and more of these guys. And uh, as, as they get probably, uh, or our coaching staff gets more comfortable in knowing that these guys know what to do so they can play fast. Jeremy Pruitt yesterday talking about the freshmen after the first game. And I don't think there was a single freshman that was expected to be a starter coming in. So when the depth chart came out last week and we didn't see a freshman other than Will Albright there, uh, Harrison Bailey was listed fourth among the quarterbacks, but that's also a reminder. They're kind of behind in terms of the work that they've been able to get done and their preparation. The The extended preseason had to help in some ways because guys didn't have a normal spring if they were on campus then or summer for sure as they arrived back and were trying to get ready for this upcoming season. But as the year goes along, I'm guessing we'll see more of those guys. And it's not like they're not a part of the equation. It's just that some are maybe a little behind where they normally would be at this time of year. So I would still be uh, really excited about what we're seeing from some of the freshmen from Tennessee. And again, a guy like Tyler Barron, his impact, he, he made a play right off the bat. That was really positive 
for Tennessee on Saturday against South Carolina. Expect more of that. And to me, a lot of it is about the depth that they add. You don't expect Tyler Barron to go out there and be a starter and play a huge role like Derek Barnett did. And you don't expect uh, on the offensive side, Jalen Hyatt to come in and have to play right away and play a huge role like uh, a Jalen Hurd did when he was a freshman at running back. Javante Spragans was out there on the offensive line. That's a really positive sign because it's an offensive line that's pretty deep and has some experience for him to be able to work his way into the equation. I think that's something to build on for the future because you know some of the younger linemen, we talk about Darnell Wright and Wanya Morris a lot. They still have a lot to prove. And after this season, Trey Smith's going to be gone. Who knows about Cade Mays, Brandon Kennedy, you would expect to be gone after this year as well. The, the eligibility factor makes it a little bit of an unknown. But still, uh, you, you are building for the future, no doubt, with this freshman class and getting them on the field and getting them more experience will be good for the future. Before I wrap up today's show, I want to get you a recruiting rankings update, as I will each and every week here on Football Futures, presented by Twin Peaks. And Alabama is holding on to the top class in the country, according to the 247 Sports Composite. Alabama is number one in the country ahead of Ohio State, Oregon, LSU, and Clemson. Tennessee currently has the number six class in the nation just ahead of Florida. So Tennessee is number six. Florida is number seven. When you look at the SEC, Georgia comes in at number 14, but the Bulldogs do have a much smaller number of commitments. Ten of the 15 commitments are four- and five-star prospects, and we've talked about a few of the prospects that Tennessee and Georgia are going head-to-head for. Tennessee right now with 25 commitments, 12 of them are four- or five-star prospects, so a little less than half. By comparison, Clemson is one spot ahead of Tennessee. 14 of the 15 commitments are four- or five-star players, which is really incredible. Like Georgia, 10 of 15, being four- and five-star prospects is incredible. Clemson has 14 of the 15 players with that kind of ranking. 16 of the 21 commitments for Alabama are number one. So the Vols have a really good class. They're looking to add more very highly touted players. And if they're able to do that, well, Tennessee will be able to hold steady or potentially even move up. A top 10 class would be really good for Tennessee. But the Vols are looking to add even more highly touted players. They're looking to beat out Alabama, Georgia, Clemson, and those level programs for their level of players. That is going to do it for Football Futures tonight. I'm here every Tuesday from 7 until 7.30. Thanks to Twin Peaks on North Shore Drive near Kingston Pike. Thank you for being here. I'll see you next time on Football Futures.